Hello, hello. We are back, baby. Episode 13. I think we're on 13. We've hit the teens, the teenage years of The Bentley Show. This is The Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Thank you so much for listening yet again. Uh, pretty eventful end of the week. Uh, the Detroit Tigers obviously have started spring training. Not games yet, but a full camp has arrived. Everybody is in camp. So we're going to talk about some of the big storylines coming out of spring training to kind of look for uh, going into games starting on Sunday. Um, then the Detroit Pistons played a game against the Pelicans, dropped it by 10 points, but looked pretty good. And Jeremy Grant did not get selected for the All-Star Games. We're going to talk about that. The Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings. Five goals. Gagne with a hattie. Bernier looks good. We're going to talk all about it. And then we're going to end with the Detroit Lions. Mel Kuyper just released uh, yesterday, I believe, his newest mock draft. And we're going to talk about what he has the Lions doing at seven overall. So that's going to be today's show. Yet again, thank you for listening so much. This is The Bentley Show. I am Scott Bentley. Let's get right into it. So, for starters, the Detroit Tigers. Um, Spencer Torgelson cut his finger. (laughs) He cut his finger on a can opener. And isn't going to take batting practice for a couple days. And I don't think he's going to play like the first game. I think we actually have a back-to-back or start off the year. I think we play Sunday and Monday. So he might not play the first two games or something. I think he had to get one stitch in his finger. He, he, he just sliced his finger open on a can opener. Not, not a big deal. People... <laughs> People on the timeline freaking out. I, I have people messaging me in, in group chats, and uh, and and I I write for Diamond Digest. I work for Diamond Digest, which is a great um, baseball um, analysis, I guess you'd call it company. Uh, and I have people adding me in there, like, oh my gosh, he, he like bro he's gonna miss (laughs) it's gonna affect him for like 48 hours that it's like a cut it's literally a tiny ass cut on his finger um so not a big deal do not worry about it don't be one of these people that freaks out all over the timeline there were way too many people that were like oh my gosh he's blah blah you know protect him at all costs whatever like don't don't be one of those people man that he cut himself on a can opener. All right, let's calm down. Let's calm down. He will be perfectly fine. This will not affect him in any way, shape, or form. It's not even a story. At, like, he, he apparently he wasn't even wearing a bandage over it. Like, this is not even a story, but some publication put it out there. So, just had to freak everybody out, apparently. Um, so, yeah, don't be one of those people that's furthering the oh my gosh this is a big deal story because it's absolutely nothing this is nothing okay spring training like i said games start sunday i believe we play the philadelphia phillies on sunday yeah i think so uh and i think we play the yanks on monday um 
those are, uh, I mean, first couple of games, whatever. It doesn't really matter. The opponent just going to get some get some playing time on there. It's people that haven't played professional ball in, in a year and a half. Like, there's people on the 40-man that weren't on the training site, that weren't at the COVID site in Toledo. I mean, you're, you're going to see some dudes play for the first time literally in, in like 15, 16 months for some of these guys. So, going to be awesome. Glad to, to have baseball back to, to its regularly scheduled programming. Um, there are some big storylines, though, that are going to happen and are going to arise in spring. We will definitely go. There's more than two. I only have two today because that's what we have time for, and they're the biggest two in my eyes. Um, but there's a lot. Uh, you know, there's the backup catcher situation. There's uh, quite a bit. So, um we're going to start with these two, uh, and then as the spring goes on, obviously, more will arise and, and more will be uh, will, will come to come to a front. So we will definitely talk about them as they happen. But for today, we're just going to talk about two specifically, both involving pitching. The first one's going to be Franklin Perez. I think Franklin Perez, outside of maybe Jake Rogers, but even then I feel like he might still have the edge on him. Franklin Perez has the most riding on spring training maybe in the organization. Uh, Like I said, Jake Rogers has quite a bit riding on it. And then our other story we're going to cover is uh, Mize versus Scooble. Um, There's a chance that the two of them – uh, if there's only one rotation spot available and those two are going at it for it, obviously that becomes the biggest story of the spring. But as just a pure individual um, kind of like outlook on, on his career, I think Franklin Perez has a ton to gain and a ton to lose this spring. He's going to be one of the biggest storylines to watch. His performance is going to be one of the most important things to keep track of. Um, this is a guy, obviously the prize possession that we got for Justin Verlander um that trade every day looks worse and worse and worse Daz Cameron's hitting 210 in AAA Jake Rogers couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat and Franklin Perez has been healthy for like 40 innings across three seasons literally three seasons he's pitched like 40 professional innings that's like a month's work if you're if you're starting every fifth day so the trade traded you know a a top two pitcher in the history of the franchise um and there's a legitimate chance we got absolutely nothing for him which is obviously devastating and it's looking more and more every day like that's that's reality so franklin perez i think the reason why he's so important to me is because if you look at any scouting report or any report out of camp by a writer any anything Everybody says, yo, this dude still has crazy good stuff. He still has insanely good stuff when he is healthy. The problem is he's never healthy. Um, but that is a, that's a reoccurring article. That's a reoccurring comment made by pretty much anyone who watches camp. Everybody. Says, damn, because because he, I mean, he was a former top 100 prospect. Like people, he was obviously the prize possession in the Justin Verlander trade. Like you're trading 
JV coming off a, a what should have been a Cy Young season, um, and then Lord knows how how well he's been in Houston. That should have got you an insane return, and at the time we thought it did. Um, and Franklin Perez was the one of the biggest reasons why we thought it was because Franklin Perez was incredibly good, man. Incredibly highly regarded. Stuff was really good. Thought to be a, a top end rotation starter, but can't stay healthy. So I I think he has the most to gain or lose. I think. If he goes out there and kills it this spring, I don't think he's going to be a starter this year. I think that's pretty much out of the question. However, I think that he could legitimately work his way into like a long relief bullpen spot if he looks really, really good. If he looks terrible, um, he's not getting any younger, and uh, he, he's going to start in in AAA, I'd imagine. Uh yeah, man. I, I think he has the most to lose or to gain. I mean, this this could be a, a spring that solidifies him as a, as a major league arm, health permitting, and can get him work. And then he could reprove himself from the bullpen and, and maybe work himself back into a starter, kind of a caliber player. But I'm not sure the organization really has faith that he can ever pitch 200 innings. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the organization's just kind of given up hope that that's a possibility um, for him. But who knows? Who knows, man? Uh, I, I really think that he could he could prove himself and, and get a real opportunity. And if he shits the bed, then time's ticking on his on his career, honestly. I mean, he'll, if we give up on him, someone else will give him a chance just because of he's still relatively young and, and how highly regarded he was. His baseball career isn't just going to end. But, um, it you know, the days are ticking. <laughs> the days are ticking. This, this, is, this is definitely a prove-it spring for him, and, and I think that his spring could single-handedly determine where he plays, whereas some guys, no matter how good they do, are going to start in the minors or how bad they do are going to start in the majors. Like he's one where he could really play himself into a, a bullpen role at the major league level if he does really, really well, and in the same breath could uh, really hurt. Obviously, the regular season means more. Uh, a bad spring isn't going to be the Tigers being like, oh, well, this dude's never going to be amount to anything. Like, if he does well in AAA, obviously that's it, but he could really determine – a lot of stuff with with a good spring or a bad spring uh the other big storyline in my eyes is scoobal versus mize um there's been a lot no one really knows what the hell's going on with this rotation nobody nobody has any idea what the living hell is going on with this rotation is it my opinion this whole time has been that there's one spot available between Scoobal and Mize and whoever wins it is going to be the fifth starter going into the season and whoever loses it and starts starting the season in AAA and um, injuries and or Michael Fulmer not being able to pitch past the third inning etc um, that is when whoever loses the job will get called up later in the season okay that's been my mindset for months now honestly um I, I've never really been of the belief that those two guys are both going to be in the starting five rotation on opening day. 
I've never believed that. Um, there are some writers out there who, who think that it is, uh, that they will. Uh, I'm very much in, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I'm not sure with how many starters we signed. I'm not sure it's really justifiable to be like, hey, we're going to have like eight starting pitchers and one of them is a rookie that had a seven ERA in, in like seven starts last year. I don't think that really makes too much sense. So uh, I think the reason they went out and, and got Tehran and, and those kind of signings is because that uh, only one of them is going to – one of Scoobal and Mize is going to make the team out of camp. Now, I couldn't be wrong. Uh, that, you know, the Tehran signing and, and signings like that could just be pure depth because – we have injury problems at starting pitcher every year, but I, I really, I've been of the belief for a while that there's only one spot available between those two and they're going to duke it out for it. Um, as far as who I'd rather see, uh, I, I really, I trust Hinge. You know what I mean? I, I'm not going to come up here and disagree with, with anything AJ Hinch does really uh, from a managerial standpoint. Now, if it's a Vila's call, I'll disagree with it, but I'm going to assume that Hinch has some input on it. Uh, so obviously if we're just looking at last year, Scooble should start in the majors and Mize should start in triple a. Um, that's another reason why I, I think there might only be one spot is because Casey Mize has still a lot of um, a lot of his, his form that he has to work on, a lot of technicality issues that people are pointing out and are saying that could be lead to huge injury problems down the road. Um, so yeah, and he, you know it's not like, it's not like he has those issues and he was shut out ball last year. Like he had those issues and had a seven ERA. I think between mechanics, that's the word I've been thinking of this whole time. Jeez. Between mechanics that pretty much everyone universal, everyone universally agrees needs work between that and, um, between that and struggling, in his first major league stint, I think it makes a lot of sense for Mize to start in AAA. Uh, people are going to freak out about it. I'm totally prepared for that storm. Uh, it's not a big deal. People are going to be like, oh, uh, he needs to get major league opportunities, blah, blah, blah. He's ruining his development, blah, blah, blah. You're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. How about that? There are 97 million levels of the minor leagues for a reason. Not just for fun. It's for development purposes. He had a 7 ERA in the majors. Am I going to be mad if he makes the team out of camp? No. I get to see Casey Mize every fifth day in an Old English D. I'm not going to be mad at that. But I, I'm. If if I was if I was Avila, he'd you know, uh, in, barring an insane spring training with new mechanics and 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 lights out pitching, I'm probably starting him. At AAA, his mechanics are still whack, and he didn't do well. 
you have to the reason that there's so many minor league levels is so that you can prove that you deserve a promotion before you get promoted that didn't happen because he was shut down the second half of 19 and then there was a covid team last year there was no minor league system he basically went from double a to the majors with a year break in between no shit he's gonna struggle So, I really am not looking forward to people freaking out if he starts the season in the minors and talking about how stupid it is. It's really not that stupid. It actually kind of makes a lot of sense. Scoobla, on the other hand, uh, it's really his job to lose. He did. He really settled in nicely last year. I think Fetter's going to do wonders for him. He also has the longevity and, and good mechanics and the... Uh, the style to go deeper into games it's it's really his job to lose it's more of just will mize play himself into also making the team or was it just going to be scooble i highly doubt that mize makes it and scooble doesn't i don't think that's really a, a feasible um option so those are the two biggest storylines for me the biggest one obviously being uh mize and scooble and and that last rotation spot but franklin perez is definitely something to keep an eye out as well that'll do it for the detroit tigers so now let's move on to the detroit basketball pistons um what do we all want to start with okay well let's get the upset me out of the way um Jeremy Grant's not an all-star. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't want to speak to anyone. <sighs> and then not only that, he, he then he sat out. <laughs> then he didn't play. Didn't make the all-star game and then sat out. Oh, I feel so bad for him. He deserved it, man. It's Detroit versus everybody. He absolutely deserved it. Didn't get it. I mean, it's not like one of the biggest snubs of all time or anything. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's, it's you know, embarrassingly bad. He's probably not even the biggest snub of the year. Um, I think Booker not getting in first try is probably the biggest snub. Now he's going to replace Anthony Davis for injury reasons, whatever. But I think, uh, I think Booker not getting in outright is probably the biggest snub of the year. So I'm not trying to make it sound like this is an all-time horrible snub, but he should have made it he's having a career year obviously but when you play for a team with when you're the when you're the best player on the second worst team in the nba um it's going to be hard for people to give you a look <laughs> it's going to be very difficult for people to give you that serious look um and that's just you can go back in any point in history and just look at all-star games and and Individual stats are obviously very important, but winning, winning, winning's big. <laughs> winning is, uh, winning is the, the, the answer. You want a winning team that, that helps you more honestly, probably than, than your individual stats outright at, at some points. Um, so that is why he didn't make it very sad, very disappointing. I still think he should have made it. 
but again, it's really hard to to say that it's unbelievably ridiculous when he plays for a nine-win team. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tough. All right, let's get into this Pels game. The Detroit Pistons drop this one on Wednesday night to the New Orleans Panic Panicans. Pelicans, 118-128. to um, This game was highlighted by Zion being Zion, 32-6-5 on a very good shooting percentage. Uh, Brandon Ingram did really well for the Pels as well. Um, Lonzo had a good game. Everyone, I mean, they almost dropped 130, right? They, the Pelicans had a pretty damn good game when you drop 130 points. Now, the Pistons dropped damn near 120. So this was not that bad of an offensive game for this team. Um, I will say that, I mean, we almost dropped 40 points in the first quarter. So we started off hot and then slowly cooled down. And then, like we often do, um, I mean, this game was tied going into the fourth. And we lost by 10. This is just the story of the season. We, have, we play hard. We play really hard. Um, This team has a lot of fight in them. That's very obvious. Uh, We just don't really have the veteran leadership or the just experience to be able to close down games yet. If it is close in the fourth quarter, we are losing. I just come to that uh, assumption, honestly. So, those are... Uh, the team stats, the Pelicans obviously look very good. As far as the Pistons, uh, just, again, we, um, we dropped almost 120 points. A lot of good stuff happening this game on the offensive side. We'll talk about the defense later because it was atrocious. Plumley with 21, 9, and 7 on 9 of 10 shooting. If he keeps doing this, man, this is going to be one of those signs that when it happened, people are like, what the hell is Weaver doing? Stupid, stupid, stupid. And then when he flips them, for a back-end first-round pick, you're going to be sorry. You're going to be sorry, all right? I really think that Plumlee could actually raise his – his become, like, a decently valuable player. At only 8 mil AAV, again, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, people freak out when they hear about, you know, uh, oh, $24 million for Mason Plumlee, blah, blah, blah. Got to look at AAV. Not overall money. Same thing with the Tatis thing. Oh, 340 million is ridiculous. He's making like 24 mil a year. That's a steal. Okay. Got to look at AAV. And $8 million for a center that's playing as well as Plumlee's played the last two weeks is more than worth it. Sadiq Bay, uh, decent night. 13 points, 4 of 8 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3. Not bad at all. He looked really good on the defensive end this game. I think. Honestly, he was... Oh, no, there's one more person. Only two people looked good defensively this game, and he was one of them. I thought he looked really well defensively. Again, I think he... If he figures out how to be a a remotely lockdown defender, it's over. Like, he's going to be so valuable because of his ability to defend the two through the four. He can switch on to anybody. He can hedge. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what style of defense you're running, whether it's man or zone, because whoever goes into his zone... He's going to be able to defend, and whoever he switched on to when playing man, he's going to be able to defend. That, along with the shooting, I think 
like I said, I, I've said it a million times, he's built for the league. His ceiling is very debatable. His floor is maybe the highest of any of the young guys on the team. I think at worst, we're looking at a 10-plus year NBA veteran that gets like 15 minutes off the bench and, and goes and gets you whatever, like eight points and plays solid defense off the bench. Like his floor I think is like 10 to 15 year NBA veteran, like solid rotational piece on a competitive team. I think he's going to be better than that, but he has one of the highest floors in the league or on the team rather just unbelievable built, built to play NBA basketball uh, for real. The other story defensively was Dennis Smith jr. Um, offensively 11 points, seven assists, five of 12 shooting one of four from three. However, Dennis Smith Jr. looked incredible defensively, which has not been something we've really been able to say about anyone on this team this year. Nonetheless, um, him specifically, he's not not turned in some amazing defensive performances. But last night he looked, or Wednesday night rather, he looked incredibly impressive defensively. Got I think three steals. Yeah, three steals. Very handsy. Um, was switching on and off people. He looked really, really, really good. I think uh, with his athleticism, man, there there should be no reason that, that he can't be a solid defender in this league. And I think last night, I don't know if I'm ready to call it like a first step because I feel like that might be over-exaggerating a little bit, but it was definitely a good – it's great to see. It's definitely encouraging. It's, it's a good thing to see. It's a good thing to, to witness – him um, picking up on things defensively and, and improving his defense, even if it is just for a game. He looked really good on the defensive end. Um, who else? Josh Jackson conti- continues to, to be very good. Uh, he also continues to be unbelievably streaky when it comes to shooting, right? So he had 25 points, six boards, three assists, 10 of 18 shooting, two of six from three. When he's feeling it with a jump shot, that dude can explode for 35. When he's feeling his J, he he really can. But his jump shot's one of the most inconsistent in the league. What's not inconsistent is his ability to drive to to the dish, drive to the hole. He is unbelievably talented at driving through the lane and driving to the hole. He needs to continue to do it. I like his strategy he's been doing where like he, he'll take some jump shots early. If the shot's not falling, then he just goes, okay, this is an attack the basket game, and he ends with 25 points. And if the jump shot is falling, then okay, you're feeling yourself, and you can just tear apart a defense and do whatever you want. Such a good story. We're going to have – Two people finish in the top four or five for most improved player of the year, which is unbelievably fun with Josh Jackson and obviously Jeremy Grant. Just a, a super fun, um, super fun story. And Josh Jackson continues to impress, like I said, 25 points in 30 minutes. Um, Sfee shot decently well, four of nine from the field and from three, 12 points. Not bad. Uh, Saban Lee. Continues to look very good. 13-2-4 on 5-8 of eight shooting and 1-1 one and one from 3. He's not taking like 9 threes a game, but he's taking threes every game, and he hasn't missed a three in like two games now. 
because he went three of three, I think, in the Magic game before this. And he went one of one tonight. He's feeling it. And then, my boy, my boy, Beef, 18 minutes, 11 points, 10 boards, 5 of 8 shooting. Very good offensive game from Isaiah Stewart. Had some good offensive boards, had a block and a couple of steals. Um, he still needs to get better defensively. The Pelicans tore us the hell apart um, inside. So we still have some work to do. And this is kind of like the definition of blocks don't determine good defense kind of a game because Isaiah Stewart had a block and Mason Plumley had four. And yet we got absolutely obliterated inside. So this is the definition of like blocks and steals don't determine good defense. Um, it's like errors in baseball. Your fielding percentage does not determine if you're a good defender or not. It doesn't. It has pr honestly very little, if anything, to do with it. Um, blocks and steals are, are my, my basketball equivalent of that. Okay. Blocks and steals don't determine how good of a defender you are. So that is the individual performances. Um, anything else here? Wayne Ellington continues to struggle. He's really playing himself out of that side. Oh, I wanted to end on, on Seku. That's what I wanted to say for last. Um, Jeremy Grant didn't play, so Seku got 25 minutes and looked lost, honestly. He did not look good defensively whatsoever and offensively. In 23 minutes, he had three points on one of five shooting. And it was one of four from three. Not sure why he was shooting to him with so many threes. Um, he, he looked, for lack of a better term, irrelevant on the court. He didn't look like he really – not that he didn't belong. I mean, the kid's in the NBA, but – um, he just didn't look like he was part of whatever was happening out there. He had four assists, which was good. That that's, that's solid. Um, he just looked timid and not like he really knew, uh, too terribly much of, of what rotations were being ran and stuff like that. So he still has a lot of development to go. I still think the world of him. I still think he's going to be a very good player in this league for a very long time, but he is still so unbelievably young. We need to have some patience with him. Uh, I say what I said about him because th that's how he looked, but I'm in no way saying that I'm, like, giving up on him or that we should have pitchforks and be like, oh, Seku sucks. Like, he's still so young, has so much development still to go, so much room to grow. Um, by no means should we, should we be slandering this kid at all. So, that is... The recap of that game uh, as a team, I mean, yeah, we got out-rebounded, got out-shot, got out pretty much everything. <laughs> that's, ab that's about it. So, uh, <laughs> Detroit Pistons drop a 10-point loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um one of my good friends is a diehard Pels fan, and he was telling me after the game that we just started talking about the Pistons and how good they looked and um, how it's a one of the most amusing tanks of all time because we actually play really well. And he said that as a, as a team, you know, 
pretty much everybody that goes into a game against us should win or should be favored to win. Um, but And not that the Pelicans are, are world beaters or anything, but in their current state. But he just said, you know, like no matter – and we did beat them before, so I guess he has a right to feel this way. But he was just telling me, you know, this is a team that when you go in there, you uh, they play really hard. And it's it's not a gimme win. They have the second worst record in the NBA, but the, it's not a gimme win. So that's from an outsider that's not a Pistons fan. That's awesome to hear, just because it it means that something good's happening. You know what I mean? Something we got something cooking. We got something cooking over here. So that's awesome. And yeah, I think that's it for the stones. All right. Next up, the Detroit the Detroit Hockey Red Wings. Yes. The Detroit Hockey Red Wings, they uh drop No. Up oh, dude, my brain is all over the place. All right. Detroit Hockey Red Wings down to business. Whew. Um incredible game last night. Unbelievable. Put up a five-piece on the Nashville Predators. A five-piece. First time we have scored five goals since December of 2019. And the first time that a Red Wing has had a hat trick since the home opener in 2019. Anthony Mantha with a four-goal game, I believe. Unbelievable. And if you want a full 40-minute breakdown of the game... Uh, I am now, like I've said last episode, I'm now a co-host over at Locked On Red Wings with Ethan and Nolan. So check out that podcast if you want just a full 40-minute breakdown of just the wings, just the game and all that. But to summarize, this was one of the most ridiculous hockey games I've ever seen. This this was unbelievable. We... We... Sh- Okay, this is going to sound ridiculous because we scored five goals. We probably should have gotten shut out. Like, none of those five goals deserved to be goals. All three of Gagne's were ridiculous, okay? He had one behind the goal line that he just, like, sneaked in, bounced off the inside of the pad, fell in. Then he had another one from the side that bounced off, like, the inseam of Pecorine's uh, right pad, bounced off like the inseam and redirected in, okay? Had no business going in whatsoever. And then even the empty netter, he did like a no-look spin snipe right between the pipes from the other end of the ice. It was an empty netter. None of those three should have gone in, and yet all three of them did. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. And then even like, even Glenn Denning's goal, he misses, gets pushed over, misses again, gets pushed over, checked to the ground again from his knees, just backhands it for for shits and gigs, and it finds the back of the net somehow. <laughs> And then even Ernie's Ernie's was a bounce off rebound that he just swatted in midair. And it went like 
none of those five goals should have. It was the most ridiculous five goal game I've ever seen. We legitimately should not have scored probably any of them. And yet we put up a five piece. Ridiculous. It was truly ridiculous. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Just an unbelievable, <laughs> an unbelievable game. Um, I've been very hard on the defense, very critical of the defense this year. Uh, it, it looked better. Uh, it, it looked better. It didn't look great, but it looked better. And the biggest story continues to be Bernier. Um, Bernier to, to steal a stat, I guess. Um from Nolan over at Lockdown Red Wings, he, he mentioned that um, this is a team that you expect to lose every single night. You go into every single Red Wings game going, okay, we're going to lose tonight. This is probably the worst team in the NHL, at best the second worst team in the NHL. And yet Bernier's record is 5-3. and three. That's unreal. That's an unbelievable stat for how bad this team is. And, and like like he said, how how much of a guaranteed loss the Red Wings feel like. Um, the fact that he has a 5-3 and three net record when he is in net is truly unreal and a testament to how great he's been. Um, I don't know if he's really a trade bait piece, but the price is right. You know what I mean? Um, he might be more part of the long-term plans, however, he with how well he's looked. We'll see. Definitely will be interesting. And Grice is a very, very good number two option to have. So that's awesome. Um, the Gagne game. The Gagne game, man. I, I, it's unbelievable. Obviously, he's player of the game. Honestly, Bernier is probably still player of the game just because of how ridiculous those three goals were. Um, Larkin. Larkin's interesting. Dylan Larkin has multiple he he looked a lot better last night he looked a lot better last night but there's there's about a week stretch there where he was pretty much non-impact wasn't hurting the team wasn't really helping the team significantly was pretty non-impact um and he looked a lot better last night he, he needs to start putting some points on the board whether it's assists or goals or whatever. I mean, and he, you know, there's a stat like people think he's just snake bitten. Sure. I, I mean, it looked like it last night. He even posted one. There's, you know, we, we probably should have scored even a couple more goals uh, than we had, but just <sighs> what a game. <laughs> what a game. Heronic uh, is the other, the other uh, big talking piece. Like, I, I was very critical of him in the Nashville series. I thought he played very poorly. Um, however, he looked incredible last night. He was he looked like a D1. D1, that sounds like college. He looked like a first-line defenseman last night, which is the first time I've been able to say that about him in a minute. Um, and he looked like it for all 60. He looked really, really good was playing very a physical brand of hockey. Not the biggest dude in the world, but but he looked damn good last night. He looked damn good last night. Um, so that's obviously great to see. So between 
between Bernier, the the ridiculous Gagne Hattie that was, um, and and Heronic, uh, we put together a pretty damn good product. The most fun Wings game that we've had, maybe probably all year. Let's be honest. Um, maybe even in two years. Oh, the Mantha four goal game probably is the last time. So yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Um, so the only other thing that comes out of this game is the Glenn Denning situation. He puts another goal on the stat sheet. You know, what you want to move him. We got to move him, right? He's got to be someone that that's getting calls. I feel like he, that he absolutely is someone we got to trade. So here's the thing. He's the best face-off man in the entire NHL. He's leading the NHL in face-off win percentage. Everybody. 65% or something ridiculous. So, to trade him to a team, he, like I said, he adds another goal to the stat sheet last night as undeserving or as ridiculous as it was. Add another goal to the stat sheet, okay? He is now... Got a pretty damn good stat sheet going for him when it comes to points and, and goals scored. And obviously, his biggest testament is leading the NHL in, in faceoff percentage. So, my thing is we, we have to move him because there's a team out there that would literally just pick him up just for the sheer fact of being able to win faceoffs when you're taking them in the defensive zone. That's obviously huge. Being able to, to send somebody out there, and obviously it's never a guarantee, but send out the guy who has the is the best at taking faceoffs in the entire NHL to go take faceoffs whenever you're in your defensive zone, that's obviously massive. That's massive. So... I think that there's a lot of value in him, and, and the better he does, the more that value raises. I feel like getting a, a decent draft pick compensation for him uh, is, is definitely not out of the question. He's also cheap, um, expiring deal as well. It just makes way too much sense to, to, to move him. It doesn't make any sense to hold on to him. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think that uh, there was a report earlier this week that him, somehow, someway, Mark Stahl um, and Bobby Ryan were all already kind of receiving phone calls. Bobby Ryan is almost certainly going to get moved. Um, some team that needs a, a, a solid, probably for a competitive team, third-line winger that can go out there and, and give you some goals, give you some, some one-timers. Uh, is obviously will always hold value and always be moved at the deadline. Um, kind of like bullpen arms in baseball. Uh, can, can never have too, too uh, many of those. So that's obviously one. And then I think that Glenn Denning might give you the best. Not Glenn Denning. Yes, Glenn Denning. Jeez. Glenn Denning could give you the biggest return. If we trade Mark Stahl, uh, that's a Christmas miracle. We did a whole episode on Locked On Wed Wings about the, the trade market and about those three guys and what kind of returns they could get. We did some mock trades and stuff, so if you're looking for more in-depth, you can go listen to that. But um, un unbelievable. The the re like, the like fact that so anyone has any remote interest in Mark Stahl is a miracle. 
he's he's a six million dollar cap hit almost. It's like five point seven million dollar cap hit. And no, if he goes to a competitive team, he's undoubtedly a third line defenseman. But competitive teams love veterans, and for a third line defenseman on an expiring deal, no matter what the cap hit is, you know. I don't know. I think uh, I think it's ridiculous that anyone would want him personally, but uh, it's not. I can I can kind of understand the logic if a good team with cap space, like the Bruins or something, were to were to kind of go after him. I, that would maybe make a little sense to me. Uh, but back to the main point, I think Glenn Denning is absolutely the um, the un, undoubtedly the the big piece that we have on this team that we can move at the deadline, unless we're moving Mantha, um, which we better get a fat return for. I'm not really sure that's really in anybody's best interest. His value is lower than it could be right now. Uh, if he gets hot the next two weeks, he's still a young winger with a lot of potential and is obviously on a hot streak. That's a different story. But like today, I don't think it really makes sense to trade him. His value is is has been way higher and, and I would like to think will be way higher if you're set on trading him. Just doing it today on February 26th just doesn't make sense. Um, but that's a whole different conversation about what, what you want to do with, uh, with him. So, Glenn Denning. Glenn Denning. Probably going to give us the biggest return. Uh, so, we need those three guys to play well. Raise that value. Get us a fat return. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there, and there's a possibility if Glenn Denning even really likes playing here that he just decides, you know, I'll, I'll get traded and then come right back. You know what I mean? Why not? Why not? All right. That'll do it for the winged wheels over there, the Red Wings. Let's get to our final team segment, whatever you want to call it, the Detroit Football Lions. The big story in Lions world this week is Mel Kuyper's mock draft 2.0, I believe is what he's on, released last night. Probably not night. Probably yesterday morning. Um, Thursday morning. And it was, it was ballsy. It, it was, it was, so the Lions specifically were one of the highlighted teams. Uh, and you'll see why in a second. So basically in this mock, he has um, a lot, he has a lot of quarterbacks. He, he has a lot of quarterbacks. He has... Zach Wilson going number two overall. Okay, so he has Lawrence going one. And then he has the Falcons making a trade with the Jets and taking Zach Wilson number two overall. Then he has Miami going receiver. The Jets now at four going tight end at four. That apparent, According to Kuyper, in this reality, the Jets have have full belief in Sam Darnold and yeah in a in a top heavy quarterback draft having them going tight end at 4 is is pretty a pretty bold statement they have taking pits obviously the Bengals going o line at 5 taking the kid from Oregon Eagles taking a wide receiver at 6 which they could never 
have too many of because they have no weapons. And then we get to us at seven. This mock is wild, by the way. Like, wild, wild. So, at seven, they have us trading down to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the first thing that pops in your head should be, while we're trading down with Justin Fields on the board. You're absolutely correct. And with that, he has the Niners drafting Fields at seven with our pick. Um, he doesn't give exactly what the return would be. He doesn't mock trades, but he said something similar to the Bears trade um, when they traded up to get Trubisky, infamously. Um, or when the... Who traded up? Oh, um, the Packers. When the Packers traded up to get Devin... Not the Packers. The Steelers traded up to get Devin Bush. Um, that kind of return. So we're looking at moving down and then getting uh, some, some second and third round depth picks uh, to move back from 7 to 12. Move back five spots, get some more draft picks. We already have two first-rounders the next two years. Let's just go all in and, and just get a ton of – have like seven picks in the first three rounds next year. So that's the kind of the kind of return that he's hinting at and the kind of return that he is uh, thinking that we would get. So – he has us, and then he, man, like, then he has Mac Jones going at eight to the Panthers. And then he has the Patriots trading up with the Broncos at nine to get Trey Lance. So, like, he has, uh, what is that, five quarterbacks? One, two, three, four, five quarterbacks going in the top ten. He has five quarterbacks going in the top 10 and none of them going to the Lions who have a pick in the top 10. It's definitely bold. Um, here's what I'll say. Mm, it's tough. That's really tough. Um, I think me personally, if Justin Fields is on the board, at when we pick at seven, we better take him. I'm not sure I'm really behind passing on fields. Even now, obviously, if we're not going to take fields anyway, I would rather trade down than just pass on him. Uh, oh, I, I also forgot to mention that at 12, he, they have us taking uh, Michael Parsons, linebacker, Penn State. Uh, why they consider to be the best linebacker in the draft. And Lord knows we need defense. So, I understand his reasoning is we have golf for the next couple of years anyway. We don't need a quarterback this year if we don't really want one, which I have I have said myself in, in previous episodes. I, I have agreed with that point. Um, however, I, I, I've also said that if Fields is on the board, that's my top choice. My top choice is Fields being at the board at seven and us taking him. 
There's no scenario I'd rather have. Fields Fields is my my number one choice. So while I feel like I said that weird wall. While I totally understand going defense and Lord knows this defense is horrific. Okay, horrific. Um I'm not sure if I can justify passing on Justin Fields. Is it is it weird that like he has Zach Wilson going too? Is it weird that if Fields was already gone and then it was just Wilson was the best QB on the board at seven that I'd be more okay with us trading back and taking defense? Is that weird of me to think? Like I'd be more upset if we passed on Fields than Wilson by like a lot, I think. Again, a lot of stuff's going to change in the next two months until the, or month and a half, I guess, until the draft. Um, this is this is draft 2.0, and and Lord knows that dude loves to loves himself a mock draft. Mel Kuyper's going to have plenty more, but I just found it incredibly interesting that um, with three quarterbacks on the board at seven he has us trading back and one of those being Justin Fields I'm not sure I'm on board I think I think I've decided that I I would I I I can't I can't put that in my brain I can't be like oh yeah like Justin Fields is on the board and we're just gonna trade back from the pick I don't think I can do it I don't think I can do it and again I in a weird way I feel like if it was Wilson if Fields went in the top six and Wilson somehow fell to us at seven. I think I'd be okay with us trading back if he got to us. I wouldn't be mad if we took him, at, I guess. I don't know. I, I go back and forth a lot. We also, Lord knows, we still need a ton of wide receivers. You can get those later, I guess. Ah, man. It's a shit show. We're going to have a lot more mocks to come. Plenty more to discuss. Um... I think my final thought is is if Fields is there, you take Fields. If Fields is there, you take Fields. I, I I'm I don't think I can I don't think I can get behind not taking Justin Fields if we have the ability to. Um, trading back is an interesting is an interesting point though. Trade back, and then he said he would take defense if it was still on the board, but if. If Parsons leaves, then uh, they could even go wide receiver. Even though Chase, I think he mocked Chase and Smith would both be gone by our pick at 12. So we wouldn't be getting one of those two. I don't know, man. Super interesting. Definitely go uh, check out the mock. It's very, very interesting. It's not, obviously trading down is something that you always have to consider, especially when you're a rebuilding team. And your draft capital is huge getting as many draft picks as possible is huge so if your guy's not there at seven that's obviously uh definitely something to talk about but i don't know man that scares me passing on fields is scary to me for some for some second and third round pick depth that's scary that's really scary to me okay i think that's it I think that's all I got. 
for the Lions, which means that's all I got for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the support continues to be unreal. I've had a lot of people reach out to me still continuing to reach out to me and tell me um, positive things and, and areas of criticism, things I can do better, which are always welcome. Um, I'm having a great time. This has opened doors for me. Uh, being able to put my face out there and, and my brand out there and, and have people reach out to me and, and give me opportunities that I don't think I would have had, uh, whether it's co-hosting podcasts or, or guesting on podcasts way bigger than myself. Um, it's been awesome. It's been an awesome experience. And all that in only 13 episodes, baby. So we ride. We ride together. The show goes on. The campaign continues, baby. Okay? That was infamously my uh, my closing. What video was that? Does anyone remember? That was a Tigers post-game video that kind of blew up. What was I yelling about? Man, I, I just yell so much. I don't even... Like, I, I feel like you know you yell a lot. Like, I, I feel like screaming should be like, damn, like, I you should always remember what you're screaming about, right? Because, like, screaming's a big deal. Like, you're clearly very mad or passionate or upset about something, right? So, like, I, f I feel like when you yell at, about something, that's like, damn, like, I'm going to remember this moment because I'm yelling. I, I, <laughs> I this sounds horrible. I'm yelling in my car in front of a camera so often that I, I don't even, I don't even remember. I, I don't even remember what I, I, I'm so mad about. Like that video was actually pretty big and I ended it. I remember I ended it the same way. I said, the show goes on, the campaign continues. Was it a free Casey Mize thing? It wasn't a doll thing because it was during the season. I think it was a free Casey Mize thing. I think we had just lost. And I said, I, I think it must have been. It must have been a case. It must have been a, uh, this is stupid. We just lost another game. We need to call him up. The show goes on. The campaign continues. Free Casey Mize. So Casey Mize free. It must have been something like that. I think it was Mize related though. Wow. I can't even remember. I can't even remember. I just yell about everything. All right. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you. Peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. That's it. Go to Troy Sports, baby. Peace.